Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bigly Blast. The NBA has the greatest collection of individual talent in the history of the sport, but when you throw in a trudge-through-mud regular season, the frustrations and damage caused by load management, and the current officiating crisis, and you see why this league is a little wobbly at the moment, and the Suns happen to be at the center of this storm. They enter a pivotal 10-game stretch run, convinced they do not get a fair shake from the refs. Devin Booker even suggested the league is pushing an agenda i.e. fixing games and that's because in the past six games the Suns have been outshot at the free throw line 203 to 121 yeah you heard those numbers right but numbers don't always tell the truth and they represent a dilemma for head coach Monty Williams the Suns head coach understands his team needs to look up over and beyond the officials but that discrepancy could continues to drill down into the collective psyche of his basketball players who show no ability to get past this persecution complex. And the last thing you want Booker thinking when he takes the court is that the playing field is not level, that he's playing five against eight. So is this the weekend that Williams blows up on the sideline and gets tossed from a game in protest? Or is this the weekend the Suns take care of the issue themselves by by ridding themselves of this albatross because I do think the Suns can win a championship playing finesse basketball from the mid-range, but they cannot win a title if they are soft between the ears. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW. Make luxury attainable. Find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. We just got to be better. Um, you know, we're fouling. They're calling the fouls. Um, we can't control whether or not they, they give us free throw attempts, but we can't control whether or not we're giving them up. And and so I think we set our piece and, and for our team and for our, our guys. In turn, we're focused on on correcting those things. You know, we just can't foul. You know, if we don't foul. Um, it's a different game. Yeah, James Jones, uh, president of basketball operations with Burns and Gambo yesterday. We set our piece, past tense. So to answer your question from your blast pick, I think this is the weekend they move on from it. Well, will the and players I, do that? I know I know the, the the people in charge are saying it. Let's hope the players feel it. Yes. Because um, I love the way, I love what James Jones just said. That's how you address this issue. Stop putting the other teams on the foul line. Mm-hmm. Play better defense. Control what you can control. Control what you can control. The Suns rank dead last in the NBA. This is a stat courtesy of Kellen Olsen in opposing free throw usage, meaning they they foul more than any other team in the NBA. Now, whether or not you think those are legit fouls or not, you could have that argument too. And I'm sure the Suns wouldn't mind engaging in that argument. I just I think it's time for this basketball team to learn some lessons from this and realize this is not a winning path. It's a losing path. It's not a winning path. No, get past, just get past it. I totally agree with you. But the the one foul call from the Lakers game that went totally viral, there was two. Mm-hmm. There was the Devin Booker after a steal getting absolutely raked across the arms by D'Angelo Russell and him not getting the call. And then there was the the phantom call on Landry Shamit as Austin Reeves was bringing the ball up. And there was 
There was literally no contact at all. And the yeah. whistle blew. Yep. The game was decided mm-hmm. at that point. And that was just kind of maybe the fi- the final reminder of the frustration I, that listen, they were feeling. I, I, I will say this. I, I will say that if superstar calls do exist in the NBA, Devin Booker doesn't get his share. He gets more than he but, used to, but I'm he gl- doesn't get his share. I'm glad that you bring that up because you you, you said if they exist. We know that mm-hmm. superstar treatment exists. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is at the heart of this issue for the Suns and why they are so frustrated. It is because once upon a time, people told Devin Booker, get better. Mm-hmm. They told the Phoenix Suns, get better. You'll mm-hmm. get, when you, you'll when you make that elevation, that. you'll mm-hmm. get your calls, you'll get your treatment. Mm-hmm. He is not getting the same treatment as no. other players. And I don't think that's debatable. No, I, I, I do. Yeah. Now, is it is it quantifiable to the point where it's huge? It, it, it's obviously aggravating to Devin Booker, who, who wants to see himself in a certain light. We remember how giddy he was that he made the cover of a video game. Mm-hmm. So he wants this badly. And, and it's not coming to him easily. So here's what I would suggest, because I do think the NBA has got an officiating crisis right now. It reared its head again last night with the same guy that Fred Van Vliet destroyed. Ben Taylor. Ben Taylor. Two nights ago, that was. Was uh, that two nights ago, yeah, the Hawks game? The Hawks-Minnesota uh, game. Okay. Yeah. All right. So so the point is that this just keeps happening. A game after game after game after game now. Uh, here's what I would suggest. I said this a little bit earlier. I'm going to repeat part of this now. Number one, I think star treatment in the NBA was born from the fact that if you're a star player like Giannis or LeBron and you drive the lane at 100 miles an hour, you're creating contact. And now you're putting the ref on the position in position. Who do I call the foul on? And the last thing the NBA and fans want are star players sitting on the bench. So I think that's at the root of the star system in the NBA. I think take take fouling out out of the equation. Give guys unlimited amount of fouls, but when you once you get past six, the penalties are are much more severe. Okay, does that work? I don't know. Maybe you could do math and come up with some analytics of, of what kind of penalty you happen to suggest. I, I think that would do something to kind of Level this idea that if you're a star player, you deserve to get calls that otherwise wouldn't happen. Because that's kind of a whack philosophy when you think about it, right? Yeah. What if, I mean, fouling out stayed part of the game, but the number shifted from six to a higher number? Something. What if it went to seven or eight? I wouldn't. I would be fine with you that. You wouldn't have coaches freaking out and having to like. Let's say mm-hmm. your star player gets three fouls in the first three minutes of the game. He's done yep. for the half. Yep. It would give you a little bit more leeway to use that star. And right. Yes. So I'm down with that. Then I would say secondarily, zero tolerance for complaining on the court once the game has begun. Good luck. Just, just, and again. So once again, it would be a very, very hard adjustment period. Teeing up guys left and right, left and right, left and right. But if you throw a fine in there and you throw like two points on the board automatically with a technical, you'll get guys to shut up. And I think that is what basketball needs more than anything. Well, I think it's got to be a two-way movement, though. Mm -hmm. I think this, this time of referees, for the most part, not having to answer questions and face the media is a big issue. And when you get something controversial, you get a pool reporter. One guy or mm-hmm. one member of the media gets to go in and ask a question, and it's quotes. It's not videotaped. It's just it's just in written form. That needs to change. They need to be more accountable for what they are doing, mm-hmm. too. Because there's some, there, there's some calls that just can't be justified. So, yes. No, I, I agree with that. So maybe making the crew chief do a press conference after a game. Maybe you keep it short, but you do. You open it up to everybody, and you... And you film it. 
I, I think that's a good idea. So maybe that maybe that affects this. If I were the Phoenix Suns, and I, I don't think they're going to do this, but I'll tell you what I would do. I, because I think this came with Chris Paul. Because Chris Paul is so smart at loopholes, I think this whole foul-hunting reputation of the Phoenix Suns came with him. And I think it extended to Devin Booker and Jay Crowder. And that's, I think, pretty much it. But but I think I think the Suns are paying a price for that. I think they're paying a price for showing up officials. Now, I may be way wrong. It's just a personal belief of mine. Yeah, I read your column, and I, I, and I agreed with a lot of it. That was the part that I didn't necessarily 100% agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I don't think you're wrong because Chris Paul is the master of the loophole. And I thought after two seasons they were going to do away with that rip-through move. It's not really a natural basketball move. Nobody really does that. Uh, it's Chris Paul almost pointing out the absurdity of, you guys don't know I'm going to do this yet, and getting to the free-throw line. Mm-hmm. I think Jay Crowder exacerbated it even more when he was here. You could go through, and I think you still can on the clickable box scores on NBA.com. Just look at his three-point attempts. He was on his butt on every three-point attempt. Every single one. Always hunting it. Sometimes he got it. Sometimes he didn't. I think Devin Booker does it, but I don't think he does it necessarily more than other players in the NBA. That, yeah, I, I mean, a I, I lot don't know. of flailing. You'll see a guy mm-hmm. on a dribble drive throw his head back. I mean, it, it's everywhere in the NBA. I know. I and know. that might be, you know, cutting down on that culture. Are those things? I mean, they've tried to crack down on flopping and all of that. I I, I think it's been I, largely unsuccessful to do I that. No, I just think intellectually, you've got to make basketball players understand that if you goad a ref into giving you a foul you didn't deserve, then you're making that ref look bad. You win in the moment, but you make the ref look bad. And maybe he hears about it later. Maybe it's when he's graded. Maybe when he watches the tape. And they need to understand that, that you might win and get a call and get to the free throw line in real time. But you're, in effect, showing up the referee. You're fooling the referee. I think there's a price to be paid for that. I think it's individual. I think it's based on the official. It's just something I'd be careful about if I were the Suns. Yeah. Try to reel this back in a little bit. Why can't all players be like that kid in the commercial that said, Coach, it was off me? <laughs> yeah, that's right. The world would be such a better place. Uh, coming up next, are you of the belief that a certain number 35 coming back is going to make things all better for the Phoenix Suns? We'll get into that next. It's uh, Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata mornings. Here's a bounce pass from Durant to Ish Wainwright. KD gets it back with seven to shoot. Penetrates with a left-hand dribble. Stops from 15 and knocks it down on the left side. What a big shot for KD to put the Suns up to. 128-126. Timeout Mavericks with 11 seconds left to go. I was back on March 5th. That's the last bucket Kevin Durant has made as a Phoenix Sun. It was a big one in their win over the Dallas Mavericks on the road. In his third game with his new team, We know what happened a few days later. Warming up for his home debut against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Twists his ankle. Has not played since. There's been no adjustment to the timetable of reevaluation or his return. And it's getting a little bit tenuous because the Suns have lost five of six. Things that were tight all year long in the Western Conference are even more tight now. Uh, And you got to wonder. you got to wonder about a couple things. If the Suns' struggles continue these next two nights against Sacramento and the Sixers, Bick, uh, does that... 
force the reevaluation timetable to be pushed up? And secondly, when Kevin Durant returns, how much can he impact things? How yeah. much can he affect the Suns? Their, their quest, their their goal hasn't changed. They want to win a championship. That's why they made that deal. How much yeah. can he affect things in that in that direction? Listen, the fact that he still has not played a home opener yet is just, it's mind-blowing to me. Um, so, yeah, I think a couple things. I think he can have a dramatic effect if he's as healthy as I hope he's going to be. I just really, I, I, I yeah. I'm anxious about the anxiety we're all going to feel watching him just because I think I know I am. I'm a little worried about, okay, where's this whole thing leading? How healthy is he going to be over the next few years? Remember we had Sam Amick on after the trade uh-huh. and he was like, yeah, I wouldn't cry too hard. You got Kevin Durant for three years. Um, the the fact of the matter is after that injury, the harsh reality came in, it came into focus that um, the Suns traded for an injured player. And that's generally something that you, yeah, it's risky. Just leave it at that. Now, Kevin Durant is still the guy. He's exactly what the Suns needed. He, If the Suns had a huge glaring deficiency the last couple of postseasons, we all know what it is. That reliable other scorer opposite Devin Booker. You get two guys elite, now you got a shot. And I think that if Kevin Durant comes back healthy, I think this team can go on a serious roll. Yeah. I think we saw a bit of that. I just, the pins and needles about can this guy stay healthy at a pro, for a prolonged period of time um, is unfortunate, but I think it's going to be a reality. Yeah, it's a, a reality that Suns fans have been forced and the, the organization has been forced to deal with since, what, February 8th was, mm-hmm. the, was the day of that trade? Mm-hmm. Um, in the Western Conference alone, there's so many star players that are either missing right now or have just come back from lengthy absences to affect their teams. The five in question, LeBron James with the Lakers, and there was even questions about his return yesterday that he debunked and said, yeah, there's, there's nothing new. I don't, you know, I'm working hard to get back, but there's no timetable. Uh, Zion Williamson could be nearing a return for New Orleans. John Morant just came back from an eight-game suspension with Memphis. Paul George just went down for an injury. I think the Clippers dodged a real issue there. Looked a lot more serious than it turned out to be. He mm-hmm. could be back before the end of the season. And, of course, Kevin Durant. Those are five teams that, if they put it together, can make some noise in the playoffs. And Jay Williams from ESPN Radio uh, ranked those five, and he said unequivocally that uh, it's Kevin Durant. His return to the Suns can make the biggest difference among those five players and teams. You can talk about the struggles. You can talk about the lack of depth for the Phoenix Suns. You can talk about CP3 and his age. You can talk about Devin Booker putting up numbers. But Kevin Durant not only is one of the top two players in the game of basketball. I'll have Giannis number one. I'll have KD number two. But KD is the personality trait that is missing from the Phoenix Suns. He is the person that is feared the most in the NBA because of what he brings to the table. You can parachute him into any offense, and he is seamless. And Devin Booker and CP3, they all know it. When KD is on the floor, that team has a chance to be the most lethal team in the NBA. Yeah, and I I totally agree with that. And I agree with that fear factor, too, that Kevin Mm -hmm. Durant brings. You know, he's not a physically imposing guy because he's so slightly built or thinly built, I should say, not Mm -hmm. slightly built. But um, he is. If you ask players, and somebody, I forget who it was, somebody in the NBA recently just came out and said, I fear Kevin Durant more than LeBron James. 
just because of the way he plays and conducts himself on the court. Yeah, I yeah. think Kevin Durant would be number one on that list. If I'm ranking the other four like Jay Williams did, mm-hmm. I think my order would be different. I think I'd have... I'd have Zion number two because mm. we've seen the stark difference of New Orleans with Zion and without this year. You could throw last year out the window. They they navigated through that season beautifully without Zion Williamson, and they became a real good team without him. But they were a real good team with him. If he comes back and hits the ground running, who knows? I would put Paul George mm-hmm. probably thir- third. Um, John Morant fourth, and LeBron fifth, quite honestly, on really? that list because we've seen... A lot of LeBron with Anthony uh, Davis together, and the Lakers were not beating a lot of teams when those two were on the floor together. So I'd, that is that's, true. That's how I'd rank them. Well, uh, the way I look at this too, it, it, there's not only that the element of major impact players coming and lifting teams. It's that whole doom or zoom kind of thing we were talking about. Uh-huh. There's going to be X amount of players, big time players, who are going to go down who are going to get hurt, who's also going to change because that happens every postseason as well. And coming up next, we'll pick who those players no, will be. We no, we will not. <laughs> no, we won't do that. that it was- is nerve-wracking, though. You're, you're right. That first game, whenever it is, that first game that Kevin Durant comes yeah. back, you're going to be on pins and needles the whole time. Because the way he got hurt was so freakish mm-hmm. and so non-contact and before again it was so ridiculous that you're you're not going to feel safe with him doing anything Mm -hmm. until he does it (laughs) but you're right (laughs) i mean i'm not a superstitious person but i'm just regular stitious i'm a little stitious never heard that one before um but i won't like people when kevin durant's nearing a return if people say hey how are you going to introduce him i'm it, i'm not talking about it <laughs> yeah, no, yeah right well it, we made and such again, a big deal yes, of that return yes. and it didn't happen no. and, and here we are and, welcome and, to the valley kevin durant uh, <laughs> have you ever heard a clip of yourself that you actually like I feel like you only react that way. But I don't, I don't think that's unusual. I think that's very, very common. Do you like the sound of your voice when you hear it? If you're driving home... I don't, I don't like the sound of my voice. <laughs> if you're driving home and you hear one of your commercials mm-hmm. or promos come on, do you, do you listen or do you change the channel or turn it down? I Usually I turn it down. Yeah. If it's a new one, I will listen to see if it sounds good. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I need to learn from this? Gotcha. But once I know what it sounds like, I'll usually turn it down. Poop fest. <laughs> yep. I love hearing that one. <laughs> love hearing that <laughs> Jared's talking about sucking on feet on the radio. All I'm saying is, Vince, be nice to yourself one time. That's, okay. That's the, that's I'm just the, saying, like, if, if another show replayed Jared's song parody and he was in the car at the time, he would roll down the windows and crank that thing as loud as it <laughs> oh, would. Oh, yeah. No, I, be dancing to it. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I, the songs I like, I I hate the sound of my voice. It's the it's the phenomenon of how different your voice sounds in your head it compared d- to how it sounds. You get over the, the longer you, the, real world the longer you work. In, in radio, and the lo- more you hear your recorded voice, the less the difference that is. Oh, yeah. yeah. It used to be. It used to be awful very, at like, first. I, and then I sound like that? Whatever. Yeah. Uh, you can text your thoughts on anything, even that whole voice thing. Sure. To the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, we will talk some football with Jake Feely from CBS. Straight ahead, it's Bickley and Murata mornings here on this Friday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.
Yeah, we continue on the Friday edition of Bickley and Murata Mornings. As Sarah said, talking some Cardinals, talking some NFL with uh, former NFL kicker, now CBS NFL analyst, Jay Feely, who joins us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Jay, good morning. How are you? Great. How are you guys doing? Doing real good. Uh, we've spent some time talking about what uh, wow. what the Cardinals have done in, in free agency, what they haven't done in free agency. I'd love to get your thoughts on, on what you see. First offseason for Monty Asenfort, new coaching staff, new philosophies. They have been quiet. Uh, is, is that by design? Was that expected in your eyes? Well, let's be honest with your viewers first, because I've been uh, out of the country for the last two weeks in uh, Poland and Israel. So the last thing on my mind has been football. <laughs> so I haven't sitting there been looking at what the Cardinals have been doing. But uh, it doesn't surprise me when you have a new staff come in. You're trying to figure out you know, your ownership. You're trying to figure out your team, your players, do an evaluation of who you are, and then make prudent decisions going forward. I think if you look at the Cardinals over the past you know, couple of years, and you, you said, what's the criticism of them? It's, it's making moves too quickly, whether it's with the coaching staff, with the GM, uh, and, and those extensions, or even some of the players and the moves that they made. So uh, I think prudence is, is a measure that, um, you know, as a fan, it can be frustrating, but a lot of times it's the right move. And, and most of those free agent moves at the beginning, when you look at the first few days, uh-huh. they don't work out. It's the big money. It's yeah. the big, big, you know, stars that you're sitting you're seeing get signed and the guys that end up working out and that are value are the ones that, that are signed later on. So that's a lot a of times point. prudence is, is the best course. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you've been part of winning teams. I, I wonder what you think about this. Monty Austin Ford at least has got this opportunity now to kind of rebuild this roster in a way he deems fit. From what you know about culture in the NFL, when you've got this kind of opportunity, how do you build, how do you install really good culture? Well, I think the culture starts with the head coach. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think it starts with the GM. Got it. Um, you know, you know. I think when you're talking about a locker room and you're talking about players and coaches, the GM sets the tone and the tenor for who you are and what your philosophy is. And you need your head coach and your GM to have the same philosophy both for what you're going to put on the field and what you're going to ask those players to do and the style that you're going to play with and then the players that you're going to go acquire. And I think the best teams, they have a symbiotic relationship between the front office and between the head coach and what they're doing out there on the, on the field. And so that's the, the biggest priority when you talk about a GM and culture is understanding your coaches, understanding their philosophies, understanding their schemes, and then going and getting the right players for the right situations that they're going to put them in. But when it comes to culture, that's all in your head coach, you know, and then you have a first time head coach and, and he, that's his biggest struggle is to come in, especially with this Cardinals team and where they've been at and, and the criticisms that I think are fair uh, and, and why they have fallen short. And I think culture is a big part of that. Jay Fieli from CBS Sports, our guest. I'm curious to expand on that in your experience and I don't disagree with you. I think it has to be built from, from the head coach, uh, the top of the coaching staff down throughout the locker room, but you've played for a lot of coaches in in your NFL career. You played for experienced coaches. I think you played for a couple of, uh, I'm looking at your career now, a couple of first-time coaches. For the the younger coaches, just feeling their way through their first positions, how much more noticeable was it from a player's standpoint that the culture construction took a little bit longer? 
Well, I, I, you know, I played for Rex Ryan when he got his first head coaching job. He certainly wasn't a young guy, but yeah, um, you know, he, he had a certain way about him, and you had to, as a GM, know that he didn't want discipline, and so you had to fill your locker room with guys that were going to self police that locker room. And for the first couple of years, we we had that, and went to two AFC championships with the Jets, and then it fell apart really quickly because they didn't do a good job of keeping those guys or replacing similar guys coming in. Yeah, but I've seen it also with first-time head coaches that are great guys, a guy like Cam Cameron, that it didn't work, and it didn't work in a hurry. Um, you know, and, and I think you could point to two or three instances where he lost that locker room. You know, and, and so as a head coach, you're going to step in there and you're going to give these speeches and you're going to talk to your teams and you're going to set the path and the vision for the future but you got to be really careful because, you know, you can say one or two things and you can quickly lose that locker room and that can have big ramifications. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, I'm curious what you think conceptually the Cardinals should be doing with DeAndre Hopkins. So let's assume that the team says, OK, he, he wants out and, and he's a luxury item and we're not in a win mode now. So let's do this. And there's a handful of teams that seem to love him. And yet the return seems to be way below market value, value given the fact the Cardinals gave up a first first round pick for Hollywood Brown. What do you do in a case like this in effort to build culture? Do you just trade them and get what the best asset you can? Do you maybe play hardball and draw the line and say, listen, if we don't get something close to fair market value, we're not moving this guy. How do you play this if you're the Cardinals? Yeah, I don't think there's any reason they need to do anything now um, before the draft. If you, if you want to move him, uh, you can certainly wait. You can wait and wait until training camp, wait until guys get hurt and get injured and teams get a lot more desperate. Uh, and, and so I think you have patience again. And there's no reason if you like him and, and you like the kind of guy he is and how he uh, interacts with Kyler Murray, we know what kind of player he is. Then there's no reason you can't keep him either and just say, you know what, you're playing for us. And, you know, yeah. we're not going to give up, you know, one of the better receivers in the NFL. Jay Feely from CBS Sports, our uh, guest here on the Bickley and Murata mornings. Around the league, uh, we still have no resolution on Lamar Jackson, still no resolution on Aaron Rodgers. And I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on it, Jay. It looks like, I don't know, the Jets, maybe their fan base is, is making it seem this way, that it's Aaron Rodgers or bust. And I can't understand why a team like the Jets that are still a quarterback away, regardless of who that quarterback is, wouldn't have any interest in Lamar Jackson. What do you think is going on there? Well, I think that for sure Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets. It's just a matter of when. That's going to happen. I think they've already planned on it. And when that compensation happens, he'll go there. And he doesn't want to be there for the offseason anyways. He knows the offense. So I don't think it's a huge deal when that deal gets done. But Lamar Jackson, and I've said this a couple of times on Twitter, you know, when he first got tagged, there's 10 teams at least that I think should be interested in him. Um, you know, I mean, I think he is a game changer for an organization. And when you don't have a starting quarterback and you don't have your quarterback in your future, then you should be interested in, in a guy like Lamar Jackson. And I'd make a run at him and I'd make a contract that – you know, you find a way that you don't think Baltimore will match that contract and bring him in because you talk about exciting a fan base. You know, but here's the issue. Here's the hard thing, I think, with Lamar is that you have to be all in on philosophically. My quarterback is Lamar Jackson. Here's his skill set. Here's how we have to build this team. And you look at the, the Ravens, and they're unique in the way they built that team. And, you know, the, the multiple tight end sets and the running formations and, 
um, trying to be very diverse in their run game. It's not the typical NFL, um, you know, and, and, and you worry about his health and you worry about him being able to get through a season because he hasn't done that the last two years. Those are the considerations. Mm-hmm. But I, but I, if I didn't have a quarterback and I didn't have my quarterback in the future, I certainly would be interested in Lamar Jackson. All right, before we let you go, tell us more about the trip that you were on, the mission that you were on, Jay. Well, we, we actually we went over to Poland and we met a hundred Ukrainian Jewish refugees that had been pushed out of Ukraine. They came over to Poland and we did a flight and we flew them to Israel, um, to their homeland and, and they resettled and lived there. And so it was really cool to be a part of that sad, wow. you know, to watch these families. There was one family, they were 85 years old and been married for 56 years and had been pushed out of their homes in world war two. And then now again, being pushed out of their homes with this Russian invasion and, and to see a, a family like that, and just kind of think forward to where you are at 85 years old and to lose your house a second time, you know, because of these wars is, is just heartbreaking. Um, but very cool to be a part of that process. And, and then to go around the country, Israel, you know, and to really understand it, to see it, and to understand the geopolitical climate there, to understand the historical context of religious. For me, it was a very religious uh, experience for that week. So to do that with, with some NFL players, guys like Sean Alexander and Nick Lowry and Nate Boyer, um, and then with a group of special forces w- was really cool. I mean, just to, to kind of mix our groups together and to be together for for a week uh, in a country like that was pretty special. That is awesome. Yeah, Kudos really to you is. and everybody Kudos that got you, involved man. in that, and I feel like a big failure right now, Vic. I, I, <laughs> I, I'll tell you, there's a mountain there called Masada that King Herod built, and we hiked up that, and then and then hike down. It's one of the coolest things I've ever done. And to, to do it with special forces. Now, I couldn't walk for the next three days. No. <laughs> like I was hobbling around like I was eight years old. But uh-huh. it was pretty cool. Yeah. That's, that's, that's excellent. No, very, well done, very cool, Jay. And thanks for uh, joining us. We appreciate it, man. <laughs> Hi guys, take care. Uh, Jay Feely, CBS Sports NFL analyst, joining us on the Arizona Sports Line. The legendary voice of the Phoenix Suns, Al McCoy, has announced his retirement. We want to hear from you giving a thank you message to Al. Just text Al to 620-620. You could submit your own video. We may even play it on the air. Once again, that's Al, A-L, to 620-620. Coming up next, still a lot of uncertainty. Jay uh, Feely touched on it, too. A lot of uncertainty on the DeAndre Hopkins front and the wide receiver market in general in the NFL. We'll get into that and more next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings. To me, this reeks of uh, Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are now in an in interesting position that the Patriots were in with Tom Brady when, for instance, they acquired Randy Moss. They can play the market and look for guys who they're going to fall in line when they get there because of Patrick Mahomes. Not that Hopkins is a guy who would fall out of line, but they might either play for less, they might just be willing to be more of a company man, again, not about Hopkins, in general, the landscape of the wide receiver position, to play with Mahomes. That is a very valuable resource if you're the Chiefs. And I think that they're going to continue to take advantage of it, which they did last year with a lot of these guys. You know, And I think that that, that could, again, be the case this year. And that's why I feel like Hopkins flying under the radar a little bit, maybe restructures somehow, maybe they do the trade. I just, it feels like right for the Chiefs picking. That is Jeff Darlington of ESPN. DeAndre Hopkins to Kansas City still remains possible. Anything's really possible at this point. Mm-hmm. We don't have anything. We did have DeAndre Hopkins posting a snippet uh, in, a, in an Instagram video of a Bob Marley song that just happened to be called Buffalo Soldier. <laughs> 
So is he signing with the Buffalo Soldiers? Mm. Huh? You, uh, you'd have to be a really, really, I mean, to voluntarily want to go to Buffalo with all due respect to Wolf. I'm from Orchard Park. <laughs> it's, I mean, that. think of that, though, with D-Hop and, and Diggs on the same team. D-Hop, Josh Diggs Allen. Josh oh, Allen. Boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. I mean, that's, and yeah. not it, to mention Gabe Davis. Pretty good deep threat. It, it, and again, the point that I am trying to, uh, to make here with this is that tells you how badly D-Hop wants that jewelry. Yeah. He, that's what he thinks is his ticket. Well, especially if he's not sure he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Well, you have to you go gotta back. you got to get something. You have exactly. to. And I, look, I don't think in, in terms of candidacy for the Hall of Fame and pro football, the same weight's not put on rings. There's so many guys on a team, especially if you're a wide receiver, are you going to get dinged for not winning a ring? But you go back to that, that sideline exchange in an episode of Hard Knocks with Sean Jefferson about how important and how much pumping up there was of DeAndre Hopkins. Oh, you're a Hall of Famer. Do you, do you think? And I know there was, we, we speculated on doubt over the PED suspension. Mm-hmm. And, um, so if, winning obviously doesn't hurt your candidacy, but I don't think if DeAndre Hopkins has four or five really solid years where he puts up four or 500 more catches, I think mm-hmm. he's a shoe in anyway. Uh, but winning is important to him, and I think he thought he was going to win in Arizona and was was happy here for a short time, and winning does not look like it's in the near future for this franchise, unfortunately. Yeah, no, that's there is that, and so I do think that um, there's, there's a, a belief that trading him is a sensible thing to do, but at the same time, at the same time, you can't give him away, and I'm glad that Jay Feely kind of recognized that, that it, 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 it's the Cardinals' right to play hardball here. Right, it is. Cardinals paid a premium for DeAndre Hopkins. He's under contract. They do not have a moral obligation to trade him. They don't. They just don't. And that needs to be said because, again, this is too valuable of a piece to give away. The reason why there's all these teams lining up to trade for him is they know that that this is a smoking hot deal. If you can get him for anything less than a second-round draft pick— yeah. He's stolen a great wide receiver. Absolutely. Remember what we said locally and what nationally was the response just a few years ago when they got him for a second round pick. What were the Texans thinking? Mm-hmm. What a steal. Yeah. They're not, they did not know his value. Well, not to mention the Texans also took on David Johnson's contract. Right. <laughs> the, the entirety of the contract. And it was a similar situation where they knew that if you trade for him, you had to give D-Hop a new contract. Mm-hmm. And it still was a steal. Yeah, and here we are again, three years later, in the same boat. Um, man, the trades involving wide receivers for the Cardinals seems to have a whole range of emotions. Like, initially, it's like, wow, what a steal. This is a great... And then, as time goes on, you're like, that wasn't such a great trade after No, all. I listen, no, I know. Not to and, say that DeAndre Hopkins hasn't been very good for the Cardinals. Yeah. He has. And so, so I, I think this is getting interesting here, because as the draft nears, there's a lot of people who are wondering if Bryce Young's size is going to be a serious impediment, courtesy of Kyler Murray. Mm-hmm. And so, if that is... If teams start to get a little cold... Footed, chicken footed, Jared. You ever have one of those? If t- it, then this draft, this thing might not be what we think it is. No, true. And yesterday was Alabama's pro day, and he didn't step, Young, step on a he scale. He didn't step on a scale. 
Which, which leads you to believe what happened at the combine when he weighed in at two oh four or whatever it was. That wasn't a true number. That it was, was like a, that Jared was a, at the baseball game the other day. <laughs> just stuffed himself for a two short plate. period of time. Bulking, yes. Two plate Carlin, they call me. Two yeah. plate Carlin, yeah. It's true. It's true, though. It's like when you try to. It's the opposite of when you like cut weight for like a boxing or UFC thing, and you dehydrate yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes, he might have drank like two gallons of water uh-huh. before. He uh-huh. might have drank in it. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, drought. Uh, Mel drunk, drunk. Mel Kuyper of ESPN drunk, talked no, about drunk. that. The weight number being a bigger concern than the height number. To hold up at that height weight, I'm not even worried about the height. That that weight is going to be tough. It's going to be making a lot of nervous moments for NFL, the NFL team that brings him into the fold. So. Yeah, it has to be a concern. I talked to teams months ago about this, and I love Bryce Young and the processor he is, how instinctive he is, how he sees things nobody else does. you got to do that when you're 5'10 and a quarter. It's 185, 190. But uh, that, to me, is a big factor. That's why we haven't had a first-round quarterback ever in the history of the common draft this size. And he's going to maybe go number one or number two. Not maybe. We'll go number one or number two. So do people say it's not a concern? That's easy to say if you're not picking him number one or number two overall. Yeah, I think Alabama sports in Information listed him at six foot one ninety four last year, mm-hmm. and most people who really were around Alabama football are like that number is way one seventy five yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he is kind of slight. I, he's really good, but he's kind of slight. And this is this is the result of the first four years of Kyler Murray, which have been kind of mm, right. And, and I think he is a cautionary tale now. There wasn't really a cautionary tale for for Kyler Murray other than a good example in Russell Wilson. Yes, but it, isn't it also cruel on Kyler Murray's, you know, f- from his viewpoint, all those concerns? And we saw three-plus years of, all right, this is a guy who doesn't like contact. He's going to avoid it at all costs and is really good at it. And the first serious injury of his career is a non-contact injury where he's doing what he does, and that's running in the open field. Hmm. Just cruel. Yeah, cruel. You That's a good way of putting it. Text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, we hit social media on Twitter. Social Studies with Sarah Cazell. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.